Well, good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to our midweek service here at Western Hills Church. So glad that uh, you've chosen to join us here in person. And uh, for those of you that are joining us on, uh, online, I would ask you to comment and let us know that you're here uh, watching with us and participating with us. And at the very beginning here, I, I want you to know you're going to have an opportunity to ask some questions. Uh, and uh, we'll try to answer as many questions as we can. And if you're participating online, you can ask those questions uh, on the comments. And, uh, and then they'll be referred to us when we get to that part of our program tonight. I just want to start out by uh, introducing myself. I'm Jerry Wells, and I'm the senior pastor here at Western Hills. And this is my wife, Sandra. And I'm so glad that she would uh, join us tonight and be a part of this dialogue, this discussion that we're going to have with Jonathan and Darcel Small. And I'll say more about them in just a moment. Before I do that, I want to just express my gratitude to uh, Brandon Scott and the incredible job that he's done for the last six weeks. Uh, last week, I was actually moved to tears as I was watching uh, the program. Uh, because he recognized how far we've come as a church in our cross-cultural ministry. And so I was really blessed by him uh, sharing what he saw as far as our progress uh, in cross-cultural ministry and uh, being one church with people that uh, look differently. And, uh, and so I, I really am grateful to him and how he was a blessing to our church has been a blessing to our church now uh, for many years. I also want to say thank you to uh, all of the, the small group leaders. Uh, did, our small group leader did an excellent job. Dolly did an incredible job leading our small group. And I uh, really appreciate those who gave their time to do that, as well as those who are running our sound and doing our, our video for us so that we can uh, do this live stream tonight and all the previous nights that we have uh, been able to do so. Special thanks to uh, Amanda Autry for her leadership of our church in our cross-cultural ministry. What a blessing Amanda is to all of us personally, but certainly as a leader in our fellowship and church. She's just done an incredible job. So thank you, Amanda. And she has become pretty tech-savvy now and, and uh, through this whole process. And uh, so we'll find other places that we can plug her in now that she's an expert in what she's doing. So uh, really, really grateful for that. Well, tonight uh, we're going to have an interview with uh, Jonathan Darcel Small. And uh, so I'm just so grateful for them. They've been a part of our lives. We found out as we went to lunch the other day since 1990. And I don't know why, why it's taken 20 years for us to do this. But here we are, 20 years after our first meeting, getting together. And uh, so thank you guys so much for uh, being willing to do this. I know that for Sandra and Darcel, this is sort of a little bit out of your comfort zones. But you looked very relaxed and willing to go tonight. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, just getting, uh, getting to hear from you guys the thing I appreciate most about Jonathan and Darcel Small, and they're going to talk more about this, is that they are Christians who base their worldview and their perspectives upon the Word of God. They are seekers of truth who have sought to align their lives with the Word of God ever since I've known them. And uh, they, they have been an incredible blessing to our church for so many years, and that would be one of the main reasons why, or perhaps the main reason why. And I can't tell you how many times over the last 20 years uh, when I have preached a message and uh, Jonathan has come up at the end of the message and he has exhorted our fellowship to be listening to what God was trying to say to us. I, don't, I guarantee you, preachers appreciate that. You know, some, I knew Jonathan was listening, if no one else was, and he was telling y'all that you needed to listen as well. And that's been very meaningful over the years. And then also, he has uh, shared a number of things with us in our services, outside of our services, that have really been important as far as uh, the wisdom that we need as a church in order to function in ministry most effectively. So anyway, grateful to have you guys and uh, be a part of our church. And why don't we just start out by uh, 
you guys just telling us you came here in 1990. Why? What brought you to Western Hills Church? Well, it was uh, uh, during that time, uh, 1990. So, I'll tell you about our children. We, uh, we currently have three living children. We had a fourth child that was our daughter, Jana. And um, Jana had passed, and I was really having a very difficult time with that. And so I'd heard about this church and uh, what you were doing here. And, and so I came one night of a night of praise, and I was up there in the balcony. I can almost point out the seat. Um, I couldn't sing. Uh, I, had, uh, I, I couldn't even get words out. But because of people rejoicing and praying, God began to bring healing into my heart. And that was uh, my first contact here. And from there, we, we started thinking, okay, maybe, maybe that we need to we check into Western Hills more, and, and we did that. Well, we're so glad that you did. And uh, it started a relationship that has lasted all of these years. And, and Jonathan Darcell have not only been close to our church uh, fellowship, but they've been very close to our family personally, uh, with me and my late wife, Debbie, and all of our children. And then they've continued to be close to us uh, after Sandra and I married. Uh, and uh, so we just appreciate your friendship and uh, just grateful that God brought you here. Now, tell us how old was your daughter when she passed and what did she pass from? Um, she uh, was three months old and she uh, passed from uh, a condition called tri trisomy 18. She had a, she had a, a extra chromosome when she was born and uh, it created complications and so, um, Fast forward, God used that experience to help us and to help our children. And some of you know of our, uh, our son, Jonathan, and daughter, Rachel, and daughter, Catrice. And there's been many times here at the fellowship, people would say, why do your children love children? And uh, we didn't know until 10 years after Jana's passing. We were sitting at a table talking, and um, I asked the question. I was prompted to ask the question, and I did. What impact did Jana's life have? And our son Jonathan mentioned that her short life had a, such an impact on him and was a part of the reason he had such a, tend a, a tenderness for children. So, well, with that, Sandra's got a uh, question. Darcel, share with us about your children and your grandchildren both. Okay, so we do have three children. Jonathan's the oldest, and he has four girls, another one on the way. Uh, so another girl, and then Rachel is the second born, and she has a son, Daniel. And then Catrice is our youngest daughter. And Jonathan married Christina Tudor. Yes. At, who was a member of our church. And they met through our church. Isn't that correct? That's correct, so yes. So you guys really owe our church a lot. We do, that, yes. That's right. <laughs> Almost five. Almost, yes. <laughs> exactly. All right. Now, uh, tell us about your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, as far as you can, as far as your your heritage, uh, where your family came from, and uh, so that'll give our, our congregation sort of a feel of your background even beyond your personal family. Uh, my parents were born, both born in Alabama, my dad in Montgomery, and my mother in Birmingham, so they lived their lives there until my dad became a sergeant in the Army. He was a paratrooper, and I knew my grandparents and my great-grandparents, so we would travel to at Birmingham to Alabama quite often. And I knew of my great-great-grandfather, um, but I don't have vivid memories of him. Right. And their families, they, they worked hard. They, you know, were ethical people. And that was really the training that they gave us. So I, we spent quite a bit of time traveling to Alabama. Okay, all right. John, what about your family? Well, I know, I know less about my family. I, I, I do know on my father's side, I, I know my great-grandfather, met him, knew him when I was very young, and then uh, knew my uh, grandfather. Uh, grandfather was not a, a, a Christian, or at least not a, a, a Bible-based Christian. And uh, then um, on my uh, uh, mother's side of the family, knew my grandfather, very close to my, my uh, grandfather on that side. Um, he's the one who taught me how to fish, <laughs> so uh, we had great experiences, um, strong Christians um, by the time I came along, and that was, um, uh, I would say that on my father's side of the family, the Christian heritage that came from my great-grandmother 
to my grandmother, to my father, uh, was significant because their, their lives, uh, my father grew up in a very poor situation, su Southern Illinois, both, both sides of the family. Uh, Dad uh, grew up in a condition with uh, um, uh, very, very modest means. So they grew up in a, uh, it was a two room house, dirt floors, no plumbing. Uh, outdoor plumbing wow. and so their experience was very different so in early years of our life we were poor but we learned many things how to value what's uh, what's going on on the inside and not not so much what's what's in your surroundings so you grew up at where grew up? Up, grew up in Springfield Illinois right. um, that's that's where I met Darcel I'm originally from I was born in Michigan Battle Creek Michigan okay and what did your father do uh, my father was uh, what he what he did uh, uh, he did two things he was uh, he was a city bus driver, okay. um, and then what, what I am most appreciative of him, he was a pastor. Okay. So he spent uh, 25 years as a pastor. All right. And then your father was in the military, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. He, he was a paratrooper right. of the 101st Airborne Division, Screaming Eagles. But oh, wow. I, yeah. <laughs> so I'm an Army brat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So did you travel around a lot? We or? did, yes. Okay. I was actually born in Kentucky, but we lived pretty much all over the country. One of my sisters traveled to Germany. I have a sister who was born in California. So we did a lot of traveling. All right. Well, you know, both of you have had so many different life experiences. You already shared one of them that was an incredible crisis for your family. But uh, both of you grew up at a time when uh, there was a lot of social unrest in our society. And uh, you know, the Civil Rights Act happened in, what, 64, and the Voting Rights Act happened in 65. And so, Jonathan, I know you were alive then. I don't think Garcelle was. No, no not <laughs> yet, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the issue of racism was, uh, you know, in, during the 60s was right at the top of the list of social issues that our, our nation was dealing with. Uh, how, did, uh, how did your parents... Uh, raise you to deal with the issue of racism? Now, my parents, both being born in the South, they had experiences that I didn't experience. So the colored only drinking fountains, the limited places that they could travel, the segregation in the schools, that was very much a part of their lives. Yeah. However, I didn't get that sense from them. They did not raise us with the mindset to view our lives from that perspective. My mom and dad always taught us to treat people the way you want to be treated, and that was exactly how they raised us. And they, they taught us to value people for who they are. Uh, one thing that I remember my mother always doing is describing people. She would, she set the example by describing people uh, maybe the person who's wearing the blue jacket or the man who's standing near the counter or the lady who has four children rather than viewing someone first from perhaps a color of their skin and that somehow filtering or coloring, if you will, your perspective of those people. So not that they dismissed that racism was an issue. We just didn't sit around the dinner table and talk about it. So the value of people, you were raised that the value of people didn't, wasn't determined by the color of their skin. Yes, exactly. And you shouldn't judge people right. prematurely based upon their yes. ethnic group or the color of their skin. That's correct, yes. What an incredible, if you're a young parent raising kids, just take that wise counsel that she just shared about how do you talk about other people when you see them in public? Do you talk about them based upon the color of their skin uh, or something else like that? Uh, or do you, that was incredible wisdom that she received and the fact that she remembers it uh, 20 years later uh, <laughs> is, uh, is incredible. John, what about you? Similar experience, my, um, uh, both my father, uh, my grandmother as a Christian really believed that uh, what the, the Bible teaching or biblical teaching was important. So she taught, taught her children, and there were eight. We're both from large families, by the way. I'm, I'm from, I have six brothers, so I'm one of seven, and she's one of seven. Uh, we were taught to treat people the way you want to be treated. I, we, we heard it called the golden rule. 
And even if there was something that happened and there was a disappointment, you, you, one, you try to uh, be quick to forgive and, and quick not to judge because sometimes you don't have all the facts. And so we, that was the way I was raised. Treat people the way I want to be treated. Yeah. I guess, you know, you, you've shared with your, what your parents have, their values that they've shared with you. And I know that trickles down to raising your own children. But what are some other things that you may have done because it was a different time frame from what your parents, you experienced, that you taught your children how to deal with racism? What are some things that you specifically did? I think it, maybe more, again, just the way that we lived our lives and tried to help them understand to first view things from God's perspective and let that lead everything that you do. And again, I, I don't want it to make it appear as though I'm dismissing that there were issues with racism. So trying to help them understand that it, it, it's an issue that does exist, and then how do, you, how do you deal with people? How do you treat people from that? What decisions do you make that will help the cause, that will help people you know, break down those barriers and understand? And then also trying to help them understand we all have different experiences and to try to learn from people. And it's difficult to do that if people are hurting, that you have to get beyond the hurt to try to be a solution or help find a solution to that problem. So really it was just more exposing them to a number of different people who we lived by or who we knew, and then just that different isn't bad, different is just different. We also would, uh, when we would encounter something or when, when an event would occur or some issue would occur, we would talk about it as a family. And as we were preparing for today, I've, I've thought of uh, some other situations. There were a couple of times we might be in a grocery store. And I remember one situation that happened where um, I think it was Rachel was noticing, well, why aren't we being served? And, you know, why aren't we being served? The, the, Dad, you were there first. And so we would talk about that later. Sometimes things are maybe a misunderstanding. Sometimes maybe they're not. But we, I tried to be careful and tried to help our children be, be cautious about judging someone's motive. We don't know what's happening. We don't know if possibly in a situation, maybe they didn't see us there. Maybe, maybe they, they thought that the next person they served was the next person in line. So I think what are we, one of the things we try to do is be cautious before judging someone. We, we don't know what they were seeing. Tell us, Jonathan, and I know you will, that is a value that comes from where? Well, it's a, it's a strong biblical principle. And, and I, I see it, one of the places I see it in Matthew chapter 7, uh, being cautious. Uh, uh, be cautious how you judge, lest you be judged, if, if that's what you're asking me. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> And one of, the, one of the verses I've been meditating on a lot is Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, treating people the way you want to be treated. But at the start of that verse or that chapter is the caution about don't judge. Okay. And, and, and be careful how we judge, lest we be judged. And, and really teaching from that principle, if just reading scripture, you see Jesus lived during a time where there were cultures, different cultures. That's how, that's how he grew up. And even in the early church, just thinking about the day of Pentecost, all of those people there, many of those people there were from different countries, different nationalities. So that was the way that people lived. So living by the Matthew 7, 12 principle, it, it gives you a different perspective when you know from where that was being taught. It was somebody who dealt with those issues on a daily basis. And tell us that principle again from Matthew 7, 12. <laughs> to, to treat people the way you want to be treated. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, and then the other passage that you said was? It's uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It's, it's, it's a caution about how we judge. Okay, uh, all right. Does, yeah. it, does it say we don't judge? Because we do need to use some discernment. That's one of the things we did teach our children about discerning. There are some people who may have an intent to do something that's harmful or uh, unjust. So be wise, but be cautious. Don't be foolish, but at the same time, don't be uh, presumptuous 
in your judgments of other people. And that's very difficult to do at times because people get wounded. That's right. And uh, do you remember a time when you really felt wounded because of a racist issue? I'm, I don't know if I, I was wounded, but I, I did have some experiences uh, that we talked through as a family. I had, I had an experience in the early 1980s that I, I was working for a large uh, IT company. Uh, I was working here in Oklahoma City. I was a field engineer. I was working second shift. I, I'd been downtown, finished my shift. It's about 1 a.m. I'm driving north back to Edmond uh, to drive home, and I was stopped. Um, by police and the way it occurred it was a little bit startling I passed 33rd Street driving north I saw a police car behind me past 15th Street and by the time I get to 2nd and Broadway in Edmond two other police cars pull in front of me one behind me lights are on me and uh, I, so I'm I'm a little bit disoriented I'm a little bit nervous and it was a situation where there had been an armed robbery so when I got out of the vehicle the officers quickly could say, I'm in a business suit. I've got my business ID on. Yes, it was late at night, and I may have been the only car around, but I, but I wasn't the guy. <laughs> and so I could have taken that, okay, why'd they stop me? But I said, they've got a job to do. They're, they're just trying to do their job. So I, I pretty much dismissed it. Okay. So the suspect in that situation was a black man? That's and correct. So the officer said armed robbery, the suspect, suspect is identified as a black man, and, and there I was. So, well, There you go. Well, what else? Okay, is there any other experiences that you, you either was created fear, created anxiety, or just really wounded you or hurt you that you've experienced that? I, I would say there's a situation that was a positive situation where people who expressed concern for me. Also, while I was still working for that same company, um, it's, this was early. The, we, we moved to, to Oklahoma in, in 1979, and, and I'll tell you, this was a blessing. It was a, it was, we're here by divine um, intervention. And if I could digress for just a minute, when, when I was offered a, a job, or actually when I was offered an interview with the company I started working for, uh, they flew me into Oklahoma City, had the interview on one day, met with two managers, interviews were okay. I was due to fly out that day, return back to Springfield. It snowed in Oklahoma in November of 1978, and that caused my flight to get canceled. So I was here an extra day, and when I, by being here that extra day, I, I then went into the office again, and there was the branch manager who wasn't there the day before, got a chance to meet that branch manager, and two weeks later, I was working for the largest computer company in the world. Wow. Um, so God used a snowstorm to get us here. Okay. Uh, so that same company, I received a, a dispatch to, for a service call, and still new in, the, new in the state. We'd only been here maybe a couple of years, and it was in uh, Idabel. I didn't know what Idabel was. I mean, I knew it was a a town in, in Oklahoma, and I'm preparing to go take that case. And uh, another coworker said, "Hey, Jonathan, I know you got a, you got this uh, support case. Let's trade cases." Okay. So Jim takes that case. Uh, I didn't know until later by another coworker. He said, "Jonathan, do you know what happened there?" I don't have a clue. He said, "Well, you're you're getting ready to go to Idabel. The time of day, by the time you make the repair, it would be dark before you would leave there." And, and I didn't know that Ida Bell was part of Little Dixie. So there in that situation was someone else who, who was looking out for me, who said, hey, that's not gonna be a good place for you to be after dark. Did it wound me? I don't think it wounded me as much as just it's a little, you know, it just, mm. <laughs> Made you aware of the reality that there's still a potential problem with regards to some people judging you on the basis of Based color of color skin. skin. And that it could be a greater threat to you which is not right, which is not just. So, you know, you mentioned something there uh, before Sandra asked another question. Um, you mentioned the sovereignty of God. Uh, how has the sovereignty of God uh, helped you? Your, your belief in the sovereignty of God helped you in the hurtful, painful experiences that you've gone through from the death of a daughter to 
other experiences with, uh, whether it was race or some other experiences sure. that were wounding or hurtful to you. You've mentioned not being presumptuous in judgment. Let's talk about the sovereignty of God. Tell us about your belief in the sovereignty of God. And how, how do you resolve when you go through difficulties? How does that comfort you? I think uh, just trusting in who God is, everyone is going to believe in someone. Even if you say you don't believe in God, you do. You, you know that in yourself that if you rely on yourself, you're going to have consequences. You may have rewards, but you believe in a, a spirit or a power greater than you. I believe that everybody does that. But for believers, knowing that God is in control, he's the creator of the universe, so trying to imagine anything that he can imagine greater, me doing that on my own, it, it, it isn't, it's unreal to me. So I, I really don't have a choice but to believe in the sovereignty of God. And now that's often a little bit challenging when you're working through difficulties. But I, I look around and I think, well, if I don't follow what God is leading me through, what, what are my alternatives? And what do they yield? And it, the answer is nothing. So with the death of Jana, her birth, but there were so many positive things from that. And just how the Lord had even prepared us for that not knowing at the time that that's what he was doing, but being able to look back on that and know that God was, is sovereign and that he was leading us through that. So there are challenges, to be sure. It, you have to rely on the Lord and trust him. And I think David is a great writer. <laughs> he expressed frustration and anger and fear and sadness. Uh, always knowing that God was the source of his help and strength and always praising him. You, know? you mentioned positive things from the death of a child. How in the world can that be? What, what were some of the positive things in the midst of your, you're devastated, your pain is, uh, there's no words for the, that level of emotional pain you're experiencing. But over time, you began, you're trusting in the sovereignty of God and you began to see God doing some things through that terrible circumstance. What would be some of those positive things? I think part of the, it goes back even before she was born. Uh, we had had the other three children and went to the hospital, but we had determined that, Jana, we would use a midwife, and I would had, ne had never considered that before. And so just that whole process of selecting a midwife, and then Jonathan worked in California for a year before she was born. So traveling there, and we had an opportunity, we were exposed to Integrity Music, and one of the songs that ministered to us was Habakkuk 317. Oh, yeah. And that's Great. all before Jana was born. Uh, then the night she was born, there was a rainstorm. We were getting out to go drive to the hospital, and we couldn't get to the hospital, and she was born at home. So being prepared by going to a midwife, even though the midwife didn't deliver her, the Lord was preparing. And then what Jonathan mentioned with the children, just they have a love for children and they have a compassion for other children. And then knowing and being able to identify with the grief of someone who's lost a loved one, but trusting in God that, you know, I'll see Jana again. Mm -hmm. And being able to walk with people and understanding that sometimes there's not anything you can do but cry or you know, be angry, uh, but just knowing that the Lord is going to take you through that. And so being able to minister to people, I think. That love for children is, is so important in your family. And uh, we were the personal benefactors of your love for children uh, because we really like it when people in our church love our children. <laughs> and you guys just poured out love upon our children and, uh, and your children poured out love on our children. In fact, it, we were so comfortable with you guys. W w you might tell them about what oh, yeah. happened there. I mean, it's just a, the relationship that we had. Uh, it's very unusual for a family to entrust their infant to another family. But uh, you and Debbie had a, a weekend uh, act function, and, and we kept... Uh, we kept uh, um, 
William? William. It was Will at the time. It was yeah. William at the time initially for maybe, maybe he was six months old, but he was, just, you, you, you trusted us. And uh, it was very encouraging for us at that time too. Well, the more important thing is that Debbie trusted us with her golden boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, what are some ways that you've felt loved in a predominantly white church? Our church is predominantly white, Caucasian. So tell us some ways that you felt loved. Sure. Um, there, are, um, there, are, there are personal ways um, that we've felt loved. For example, uh, our, our children have been uh, welcomed to, to serve in different ways, to be involved in ministry here. Uh, we personally have been involved uh, with teaching and whether it's uh, uh, um, the Henry Blackaby series. Um, I can't remember the title of it now. Experiencing God. Experiencing God. Yeah. Uh, we were asked to lead one of those sessions and other things. And, um, and some people may, may be, be surprised that at least on two occasions now, I've been asked to serve as an elder in our body. Um, so we've felt love just being welcomed, and we've been in many of the homes. We've had families in our homes. We've had, um, uh, I'll tell you, one of, one of the most uh, uh, striking times or one of the most encouraging times we felt loved. And, and so in, um, uh, when uh, Catrice, our, our third child, was 12 years old, she had what we now know was, was, was a seizure. I was, I was working in Norman at the time, and, and this is one of the things I wanted to share about the, the body. And, and the, so I got the call from Rachel. Rachel says, Dad, um, Catrice is, uh, looks like she's having a seizure. And so I'm 45 minutes away from our house. I make a phone call to one of the brothers that's here at the church. And before I could get to the hospital, several from this fellowship were already there. That's, that's love. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it was uh, very encouraging to us uh, during that time. Go ahead and ask that question again. That's awesome. <laughs> Anything else you want to share about just feeling loved? And, 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 and the importance of this is that we can learn from our past what we've done to uh, minister to Folks that don't look like us, sure. and and so what are some anything else that comes to mind that we've that we've done that you think hey they need to hear this because this continues to be important whether we're ministering to African Americans or we're ministering to the Latinos. I I think there's something that uh, and I've forgotten about this. Uh, we uh, so from uh, from 2010 until um, close to 2000 or 2000 to about 2010, I was involved in, with a ministry called uh, Sidewalk Sunday School, um, and it's, it's sponsored by uh, uh, Oklahoma City Metro Ministries. And from that, we were working with inner city youth, and there were a group of boys that I was regularly meeting with, myself and four other dads and two college-age guys. So one weekend, um, there was a, a program here called Walk Through the Bible, and it happened to be on a weekend that I was going to be out of town for, uh, for a business trip. I was able to talk with you and others here about that group coming in and one of the highlights of that year for these boys. And there were, if I remember right, maybe 11 or 12 that came in, they sat, they sat down here near the front. They were so encouraged and inspired by what they heard to walk through the Bible. It was, uh, what I remember of it was someone who was art articulating or describing the Bible in such a way it would captivate boys out of the inner city that would be willing to listen. And then what you did is you fed them that day. So when I got back in town, I, I heard from these, these boys the love that this church has, and it was mentioned by the other men who came. So not only have you loved us, you've loved the other work that we've done in trying to reach and help people. So I think the church needs to know that. Yeah. There was a young man that you mentioned to us at lunch the other day. You can just tell us his first name that you remember who you were talking about that you felt like came in to our church oh, yes. yeah, yeah, with it was, one attitude. It was, it was Jeffrey. Okay. And right. what happened there? Well, he came in. He's not, he's, he was not familiar with being in a fellowship that was not all black or predominantly black. 
And, and over, the, over the course of about a year and a half or two, he was loved by the, the church here to where he, was, he felt this was his church home. Wow. Uh, so you could come in maybe not looking like others here, but because of the love that's here, you can, you can begin to, one, be, be healed because he had some scars. He had some hurts that he, that he had when he came here. Do you remember some things that were done that were ministering to him? And I think you mentioned a couple of the people that were real important. Right. So one of, the things, one of the things that people can do in, in trying to connect with other people, there were two men in the church in particular that one was a carpenter, another was a tradesman. They, they helped this man, Jeffrey, um, get access to work and, and help develop a skill. And while they were doing that, they basically were going through life with him. They were being a model for him. Um, so I, I would say just... As people come, they may have some interest or need, or, or maybe they just need a friend. And that's part of what Jeffrey needed. So it's more than a class. It's what we've learned from one church. It's more than inviting people to a class. It's all about relationship, right? I agree. And that's what he experienced. He experienced that. From these men. I, it, it was... Uh, sure. It's, it's Steve... Uh, rushing. Uh, rushing. And then... Uh, uh, oh... Um, Ben Manus's brother. Um, Steve. Steve. Yeah, yeah. I started to say Steve. Yeah. Yeah, so Steve yeah. Manus, those two. Absolutely. Well, that's incredible. Um, right now, probably there's more ethnic diversity in our church than there's ever been since I've been here. And so we, we have made some progress, uh, and especially in our student ministry. If, if you see a picture of our False Creek group in 2010, and then you see the most recent one from last year, you can really see that the student ministry has really grown in its, in its diversity. Uh, what do you think needs to happen, first of all, in each one of us uh, personally for us to reach more people of color? Let's start with not just pro what needs to happen in us. I, I think it's just having the heart of God and just loving people and seeking to know the people's needs and their hurts and being able to sometimes just listen, but being that place, that safe place that they can ask questions and then they're comfortable with you asking questions of them. And okay. I think that's, it starts inside you. Good. It, having the heart of God. How do you do that? Well, you have to uh, trust God. You have to know God's word. You have to know who he is. And then that's also going to come through just the relationship that you have with other believers. But it's a personal time of study, prayer, and growth so that then you can be healthy to help other people. So it's a commitment. Okay. So when did you become a Christian, Darcel? Uh, I grew up in the church uh -huh. and I would tell you that I was saved at 13 because that's what everybody did. You walked down to the front of the church and you were saved. But knowing that that is not what happened. I had a number of experiences in the church that were positive thinking that I was saved. But I firmly believe that I was saved at age 23, shortly before Catrice was born. I, we, we went to church, I read the Bible, but I didn't have a connection I could tell and the dream that I had is that Jonathan was standing uh, it's like at a mall like on the second level with Rachel and Jonathan and I was down at the bottom of the escalator and I kept thinking why are they there and uh, I was pregnant with Catrice but Jonathan was holding the baby hmm. and I knew then that I had was separated from God. Hmm. And so from that moment forward, you know, knowing that, knowing that if I didn't receive the Lord, what my end would be. And so that's when I firmly believe I became a Christian was at age 23. So what changed after that time? What changed in your spiritual life? What changed in my spiritual life was I'd been reading the Bible. I had done that. But then finding... Bible teaching, and that was another providential <laughs> experience in our lives, coming to Oklahoma. You turned on KQCV, and there were teachers on, 
you know, 100% of the time. So being surrounded by God's word and reading God's word and then aligning ourselves with people who could mentor us to be trained to grow in the Lord. Yeah. I'm going to ask Sandra for a moment to share her spiritual story. I don't know if you've ever done that before here. So why don't you tell us about your journey spiritually and how you came to know the Lord and what was the difference before and after? Okay. Um, I grew up uh, really attending a Methodist church um, with my parents and so um, doing all the little lessons and being really good to go and but what I do recall is really never hearing the gospel shared at that Methodist church. So as a freshman really um, in junior high is what it was and James Robinson came and shared a story at our school and when he shared um, you know it was really intriguing his whole story and he said if you want to hear more you know come tonight and listen and so I did I wanted to hear more and what I heard for the first time was the gospel really that you know I really felt like I was a really good person so I really that's all I needed to do and what I heard was um, I had never really accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And so I realized at that point there was nothing good in me. And before that, I thought I was pretty good. So at, at that point, realized that for the first time, that's the gospel that I heard. So accepted Christ at that, at that you know, time, at that revival time. So then chose to start attending a Baptist church at that time um, and not continuing with the Methodist Church. As far as before and after, I think one of the biggest changes was um, just my understanding that there was nothing in me good. And no matter how good I thought I was, I thought I was better than the next person, so that would, that would be enough. So I think the, the, one of the main factors was the fact that I now um, had a personal relationship that I didn't have before and understanding that God, you know, sent his son to die for me personally and love me personally, and I could have a personal relationship that I really didn't have prior to that. So then I could walk um, in that relationship in a different manner than just myself. All right. You know, a uh, funny story that happened. Uh, when Sandra and I started dating, I took her to my house to meet some of my children, and they weren't all there at the time, but uh, Jeremiah was one of the children that was there. Uh, I think we had, I had four at home at that time. And so we pulled up into our driveway where she was gonna meet the, those four children. I think it was Grace, Mercy, Will, and Jeremiah. And Sondra and I got out of the car to come into the house and Jeremiah said to his siblings, dad's dating a black woman. <laughs> You ever heard that story? And so anyway, uh, we've laughed a lot about that, that, you know, so Sandra is Native American. And in fact, her, uh, her maiden, her mother's maiden name was Manwaring. That's, that's, uh, was her maiden name, Manwaring. And sometimes I remind Sandra of that, but... And so I, I decided after we married, I needed to give Sandra a Native American name. And, and so her Native American name that I gave her is called Walk So Softly. And the reason I gave her that is that she was always walking up and scaring me and I wouldn't hear her coming. So I've called her Walk So Softly. So anyway, thank you. And then you got, you, you got saved and you ended up marrying a minister. And, and then you, John passed away, and you said you'd never marry a minister. Yes, that another is correct. One again. That is correct. And you married me. Don't ever tell God no. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you did because of that relationship with the Lord. You felt the Lord telling you to do that, or yeah. you wouldn't have done it. Providentially, I saw that God had working. something different in mind. Yes. Yeah, and aren't mm -hmm. you glad that he did? I am. See? <laughs> Thought that. Yeah, so are we. Exactly. Sandra could not have uh, 
uh, been a more perfect fit for what we needed as a church for a pastor's wife. And I'm so grateful that the Lord uh, did that work. Well, again, I think it's the church that loves people here, and they are so um, accepting and loving of people. So because this church was like that, um, even though I was different, coming in different in a place where Debbie was, they accepted me and loved me just like they loved you, anybody else. And you felt different, even though you know you weren't different, you felt different. So I felt different, and I, I was. But that made a difference for me. So we, we keep coming back to that love deal, don't we? Mm -hmm. As far as, John, is there anything else? I asked uh, Darcel the question, what do you think needs to happen in each one of us personally? For us to reach more people of color, what would you say in us? I'd say in us, it, it will take courage. Um, because one of the things where there are differences, sometimes the differences inhibit or cause us to not think that someone would receive or, or would be interested in what we have to offer. And I think we just have to try to make the connection. Yeah. Just uh, if. And it may turn out that it might be your neighbor. We have many stories. In fact, this is one I'm going to share. We didn't even discuss it, but we, uh, we were living in Edmond, and this is, this is in the early years of, of our, our children were still, uh, I think maybe Jonathan was uh, in his uh, first grade. And we happened to have a small fire in our, we were living in a duplex at the time. And so when that fire happened, our next door neighbor recognizing that, that that had occurred, welcomed us to their home that evening. They uh, prepared, um, there were hamburgers on the grill, and, and that family, this would have been easily 35 years ago, is still one of the closest families that we, we know. And they happen to be a, a, a family who's white. And so sometimes just doing what you, you know, you may not know, that it's going to be received, the effort, but just show kindness. Just show, show uh, the scripture uh, makes reference to hospitality. And I've seen that here in many occurrences or many occasions in this, this church body. Just be hospitable. Um, and, and it may be risky because someone might be different, but the difference doesn't mean that it's going to be rejected. Absolutely. You know, one thing I want to add to what you guys said, was just as a reminder, they were brought here by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, John was brought here first in that balcony by the Spirit of the Lord. And then he began to ask the Spirit of the Lord and have Darcel pray whether or not they should come and join us, even though they had come from, uh, at one point, a predominantly African-American congregation. He began to really ask the Spirit of the Lord, do you want us to be connected with those white folks uh, or those Christians? And, I mean, that was, that was huge. For them to pray and really surrender their will to the will of the Lord to follow the Spirit. It reminds me of that story of Peter when he went into Caesarea to meet the Roman uh, centurion who was a Gentile, Gentile. That he was following the Spirit and that was the way that he connected with someone who didn't look like him. Right. And, and ended up you know, as a result, I mean, a whole church was born out of that. So to me, that, that is so critical. But if I don't follow the Spirit, if I'm not in prayer, you know, really seeking the Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to connect with? Then I'm going to miss what the Lord wants me to do as far as connecting with people that don't look like me. Because my natural thing is I just, I'm just going to naturally, if I just follow my flesh, connect with people that look just like me. And you know? some, some of it is sometimes tradition. So that was one of the things that we had to work through. When we, uh, we were in a, uh, it was an all-black church. Uh, it was the first church that we joined or connected with when we moved here. And that uh, I think we shared with you. I was, uh, at that time, I had uh, indicated that I felt a call to preach and I had started getting training. I was an elder in the church and, and being trained. So it was very difficult for us to leave there. But we had in our hearts... God was telling us there's something more, and, and what we needed, we, we needed to have a better ability to apply God's word. Mm. And that was one of the primary reasons we came here, was the, the teaching, what we, what we were observing through the lives here, 
the ability to read God's word, understand it, and apply it. And that was key. What I would also share with the, uh, our church body, one of the things that I got challenged by and you know, kind of wrestled with the Lord about this, am I, uh, I, am I a black Christian? Or, I'm a, or am I a Christian who happens to be black? Mm-hmm. And once I settled that, that I am a Christian who happens to be black, then the tradition, and there are traditions, some traditions are good, some traditions are just traditions, and they may need to be something that we say, hey, that's not helping us connect. And so if we're, if we're being motivated out of our relationship with the Lord and from his word and from that passion with the Lord, we then say, okay, this is, tra- this is a tradition that I need to set aside. All right, we're running out of time, and we're going to get a few questions in from anyone else that has one. And if you're online watching and you have a question on the comments, put your question at comments. In just a minute, I'll ask Shiloh, see if we have any questions coming from our live feed. But what about those who are here live tonight? If you have a question you want to ask, uh, Jonathan or Darcel, uh, would you raise your hand. Does anybody have a question you'd like to ask? Yes, Amanda. Yeah. I'll repeat the question. Okay. I'd just like to ask if, um, if the Lord sends you maybe um, younger or African-American black uh, believers that are not as, they have different hang-ups and not as solid as, as your family is in Jesus or in, in your identity in Christ. How, did, how does that look like as you disciple them? And have you had those people in your life? All right, I'll repeat the question. If there are uh, African Americans that are Christians that are brought into their lives that don't have the worldview that you have, how do you go about discipling them to help them grow in the Christian worldview? It's, it's, a, it's a journey. So you start with them where they are and you live with them. And we've had some people, in fact, we've, we've brought friends here that, that fit that, that example. Uh, over a period of time, they say, okay, where is it that you go? We, we need to learn about what it is that you're talking about. So it, it does take time. And some will say, okay, I want to keep going. And some will, will actually shrink back. And, and the tradition is stronger than, than what, what, what they're allowing God to do in them. The woundings are really a part of it, aren't they? They are. People are wounded. And when they're wounded, they have a hard time getting over the wounds in the way that they view everybody, right? I mean, it can happen in marriage. I can see that when it happens in marriage, uh, you know, for somebody's wounded in, by their spouse. So certainly it can happen uh, between races. Great question. Another question? Yes, Pam? Probably this is not a question, but I just wanted to say thank you to Jonathan Garcelle because we were a new family visiting in 1999. We had an after-church meal, and Jonathan came over to visit with our family for about 10 or 15 minutes welcoming. Well, we're so glad you did that because their family is so unusual. <laughs> and you made them feel welcome. And, they're, they're, you know, it's like they've never met strangers in their lives. Uh, Shiloh, is there any questions on the comments? Uh, yes. Yeah, we have a few. So the first one uh, is what can we all do to help create unity in our country that seems to be so disunited? All right. I had that question here. And the way I said it was... Uh, as a Christian in this time of social unrest, uh, as a Christian that is black, how would you advise the members of our church to respond to help us move toward uh, unity? Earlier we mentioned uh, treating people the way you want to be treated. That's a start. Uh, if there's an opportunity to, to bear a person's burden, there's often... Or, most people have some kind of challenge that they're going through. If there's a way that you can go come alongside someone and be a help to them, um, I think that's, um, that makes a difference. I would, I would caution some of what's happening, I see in the, in the culture now, of where people, they, they recognize there's a need, they want to be involved, and, and there's a, they're not knowing what to do, there's a potential that you pick up an offense. And if you pick up an offense, then, then you got to be, I would caution being, 
some of what's happening now in our country, the damage, the destruction, that's counterproductive. It's, it's not helping bring together. It's actually, I think it's separating. So uh, bearing one another's burden, um, um, don't judge, be quick to hear, slow to speak. That's a, that's a, a common phrase or theme now, but listening. I don't, I don't know that I fully understand or agree with some of it, but, but listening, trying to listen to the heart of people. There are differences. One of the things we're, we're working through now is, okay, how do we help people who are hurting that, that really believe in their mind or somehow in their heart that there's a risk of being associated with someone that's different? And so I would say just spending time with people, just loving them, love on them. Awesome. Another question? Shiloh? Yes. Uh, uh, here's one. I appreciate how Darcel said her mother described others to her children. What are some of the intentional conversations that white parents need to have with their children in relation to race? Got that? What are some conversations we white folks need to have with our children? I bet that's a, an excellent question. And I think about history, if we know our history, that helps with the way that we view people and understanding people and understanding their life experiences and, and knowing, I've, I've heard some people say, well, I, I don't know how to help or I didn't know that you experienced that or that people experienced that. So having those real conversations, it, topics about slavery can be very difficult, but that doesn't mean that you don't have that discussion. You discuss it again, if you're believers from the perspective of God, but have those open conversations. And then being around people who look different than you and getting to know them and understand them and not forcing it, but just understanding that those people are, when you say those people, you know, they're saying those people about you, but just being around people who are, are different. And the conversation sometimes might just be, so what are you thinking? I remember uh, we were traveling uh, by train. I was, I was little, and it was our entire family, and there was another family, and there was a little girl, and you know, she walked up and down the aisle, and she smiled, I smiled, and got to the point where we were talking and got comfortable enough that she asked me, she said, can I touch your skin? Because she thought my skin felt different, because it looked different. And I was young enough then that I, it didn't, I just, why did she ask that question? But it was a genuine question. There was no harm intended in that. So by allowing her to do that or allowing her to ask that question and then gain an understanding that my skin feels just like your skin. And so allowing your children to ask the questions. And then when you don't know, you know go to the people who would have the answers to those questions. Yeah, and one of the biggest things that you guys have done that we, we also did, and we still do, is if you really want your children to have these barriers broken down, then you as parents have got to have people that don't look like you in your home uh, and on a regular basis. And basically what our family did is that we adopted other people's children that didn't look like us. We adopted Tyler Payne. You may remember Tyler. And he lived across the street from us with uh, Margaret Payne and, and uh, he tragically died later in his life and very painful for our family. But I'll never forget, uh, they went to an all black church and she asked us if we would go to the funeral with her and sit with their family. And we were the only white folks I recall in the service of a thousand people or so sitting with their family. But that was because we had had him and he, he would just walk into our house, you know, and I I'd go to the refrigerator, whatever he wanted to do. We just treated him like one of our sons. The same would be true with the lay boys and uh, especially Jeremy Lay, who him and his wife Danielle are in our church right now. It was the same thing. We had him in our home all the time and, uh, and for different reasons. And then there were others. And, and I think that's the best thing we can do for our kids, right? I mean, yeah, we, we need to educate them. But one of the best ways to educate them was with the experience of having them interact and they go, they grow up thinking, what? Well, that's a human being. 
Just yeah, like just like me, you know. And so, anyway, well, hey, uh, that's it for tonight. We really appreciate uh, everyone joining us tonight and being a part of this. Why, why don't you guys that are here help me give a round of applause for Jonathan Darcel? We are just so grateful and blessed uh, that our journey has continued this many years and hopefully for many more years it will continue. And uh, you guys are just a wonderful blessing uh, to our church. So thank you for joining us and uh, thank you for being here tonight. You're dismissed.